Hey guys, and welcome back to the Image Junkies podcast. How are you? I hope you've had a good week, and I hope you've had time to listen and analyse to last week's interview with Lenslinger, Stuart Pittman. Um, I thought he was great and full of really useful information, especially if you're going to be heading out covering extreme weather like hurricanes and so on. If you've not listened to that, I recommend going back and having a listen. But anyway, talking about this week's episode, uh, it's a short and sweet episode today, but I think an interesting and important one. And where I pose the question, what makes the perfect news cameraman? Now, the interview is with a a top BBC correspondent called Andrew Harding, um, a guy I've worked with and alongside for many years. And this conversation we have was actually recorded in Benghazi in 2011. But I found it on my hard drive and I thought it was such a great conversation and was still completely relevant that I'd play it here for you guys. So, without further ado, here we go. So, I'm here with the BBC's Africa correspondent, Andrew Harding, and we're here in the Uzo Hotel in Benghazi, covering the fighting in Libya. Uh, Firstly, Andrew, just tell us a little bit about yourself, for anyone who doesn't know you. Uh, I've been a foreign correspondent for about 20 years now. I started in Moscow, did four years, then two years in the Caucasus, covering Chechen wars, and uh, then back up to Moscow, then to Kenya and East Africa, the wars in Congo. I'm talking a lot about wars, but there have been a lot. Um, Somalia and so on. And then Asia uh, for four more years. Burma, China, Indonesia and so on. I'm now back in, in Johannesburg covering sub-Saharan Africa and occasionally um, ventures up like this to, to North Africa. Okay. Now, I understand you've worked a lot with a lot of different cameramen uh, doing news and documentaries. Um, what would you say, as a, as a correspondent, are the most important uh, both character traits and technical skills that any cameraman you work with has? Okay, my dream cameraman coming up. Um, Obviously, he's under pressure here as he works with me a lot, but uh, <laughs> I'll let him give an honest answer. I think, frankly, one of the first things that's important is, is good company, somebody you get along with, because, you know, we're, we're holed up in, sometimes on great trips that, you know, it's fun. It's a great job. You don't want somebody who's going to spoil it. Um, because I think that that doesn't help anybody, and it, and it probably produces worse television. And particularly when you're in tough areas, you want somebody who's not going to bring you down, who, who you can, you know, make good TV with, and who, who doesn't sort of complicate things. So you need somebody who's, who's fun to be with, who's, I think, a good a good people person, a good team person, because um, you're only as good as each other, and um, it's a very sort of strange, close relationship that that you need to have, particularly in in difficult war zones. Um, And I think, you know, we're not talking about the technical stuff yet, but in a sense that comes, that's obvious, that's secondary, but but you need somebody who gets on with the team, but also I, I find particularly a good cameraman is somebody who gets on with people so that, you know, w- when you're out getting people to do strange things sometimes or to cooperate with you in difficult circumstances, you need somebody who's not going to make the people you're working with or the subjects that you're interviewing, at, you know, feel awkward. Um, you need people to relax. You need somebody who's willing to not just stand behind the camera and go, this is what I do. Somebody, you need somebody, particularly these days, when often you and I are just working without any other production help, sometimes with a local fixer or translator, but somebody 
who's not going to turn around to me and go, hang on, I'm not, I'm not doing that, that's not my job. Um, somebody who's ready to go and sort out the cars, ready to go and sort out the money, ready to go and be a journalist and find people. Because I've found increasingly as a journalist that the, the, the demands on my time editorially are, are mounting. It's not enough anymore for me to, or us to produce one cracking TV piece. I've got my blog, I've got tweets, I've got radio. So I'm having to churn out a lot more material. And it's harder for me to do that and try and be producer and fixer and everything else. So if you've got a cameraman who's just saying, hang on, I take pictures, and I don't help for radio or I'm not going to set up the began for a live, you know, that just doesn't cut it anymore. Um, technically, obviously, you want somebody, and it, and it takes a while to build up, as you, you, know, you and I have found, you, you want somebody who you don't have after they've taken a shot you don't have to go round to the other side of the camera and go, can I see what that piece of camera looked like? Because it makes you feel awkward and you need to, have, you need to know that that yeah. cameraman is going to nail that piece of camera. Yeah. You want, I've found somebody who's creative and who, who wants to offer lots of ideas and who, wants to, who, who understands that there are no laws to what we do, who, who, who wants to try new things, be very experimental but who also knows when there's a time to close that particular cupboard and box of tricks and say, we're in a war zone, we just want to nail this thing. We want to, you know, don't try something fancy when we've only got one shot at this. And on that, you know, you and I talk about the sort of the feel of the piece, if it's a feature particularly, and how are we going to make this different? You bring ideas, I bring ideas. We, no one has the final say necessarily, but, you know... And no one's being too prissy about saying, hang on. You know, it's got to be done one way. But to be creative is great, um, but it's got to fit with the tone of whatever we're doing. Sure. I mean, I guess, I guess what you're saying is the story comes first and then we work within the confines of that story. Yeah, and there, and there are times to be experimental and there are times when, you know, we get back and think... Yeah, okay, that, that didn't work, and, and you know, it's good to be able to admit that to each other. I mean, one thing that I find interesting and that I enjoy about the way you work is just the way you look at telling stories, and that's something that I'm trying to really learn. I think a lot of cameramen out there listening to this podcast, uh, if they're not already learning, should be. I mean, what's your philosophy in terms of structuring a story? Now, I know this is, can be different on every story, but in general... Um, you often turn upon a story with an idea of what you want and how it should be structured. I mean, what, what advice would you give for people who are just trying to tell stories, um, cameramen maybe moving into the realms of journalism for the first time? Is there any advice you would give on storytelling? Well, a, a beginning, a middle and an end is the, is the basic stuff. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's obvious, but it's not always the case. I mean, I think, I think you want to reveal stuff during the course of a piece, you want ideally to find sound bites and sequences that are counterintuitive, that, that aren't blindingly obvious from the moment you start the piece. Part of that scripting, but I, I also think that you know what I like, particularly in, in shots, is, is when you don't have lots of choppy little shots but that you have, for instance, and I was thinking about Ivory Coast, you know, when we, we, we caught the moment when Bagbo had, the news of Bagbo stepping down, and you were just shooting in a marketplace, and suddenly you could literally see the news spreading from stall to stall, and you followed that, 
and I was luckily in the right place, and then you, you turned round and found me, and I said a, a few words. But when you came back and you saw that, that revealed and told the whole story, which a few kind of lazy, close-up, traditional sequence sort of mm. oriented shots wouldn't have done so well. So I think it's, it's good. I prefer when you've got you know, one long, meandering shot that, that, that reveals stuff, to me is worth you know, lots of fancy little rather obvious sequences that, you know, the close-up on the hands, the close-up on the eyes, the whatever. Well, yeah, I think, I think that pretty much uh, corresponds with my philosophy on these things. And, and moving forward now a little bit, I mean, in, in the realms of news production, things are changing, teams are getting smaller, budgets are getting less. How do you see the role of the cameraman changing to, um, to incorporate that and sort of being able to survive in, in the sort of news environment? I mean, what, what advice would you have for camera crews out there worrying that maybe there's no place for them in, in, in news gathering these days? Well, I guess I, I sort of touched on that when I was outlining my dream cameraman, which of course you are. Um, <laughs> he had to say that. Um, and I think it, you know, it's obvious stuff like flexibility, the fact that, um, that increasingly what we're putting out, although you, know, you and I still answer to the 10 o'clock news very often on you know, domestic British television, and that is the, the showcase for what we're doing, and it's in, and it's still a traditional two to three minute kind of feature based outcome that we're looking at, and I and I I don't think that will ever go away, personally. In the same way that movies won't, you're still telling a story, and no no number of rants and lives are ever going to replace that. But a lot more stuff is going on. At least I hope it won't. A lot, a lot more stuff is going on the web. Um, you know, we do on demand stuff. You and I actually end up doing, you know, editing radio, particularly when we're just the two of us. So we're putting stuff together for radio as well. So, you know, often I'll do pieces to camera that I suspect won't be for TV, but I haven't got an opportunity to do it just for radio with my radio kit. Um, there are, you know, all these rants, and you know, I think I think that's still a kind of a learning process for all of us and I, and I think, you know, I've done packages in the past which have been nothing but rants sewn together. Now that can be horrible. You know, a a rant for anyone who doesn't know is just like a long piece of camera with the reporter, with the reporter talking and maybe introducing what's happening around him. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it only works when you've, you're somewhere that you have stuff to point to otherwise it can be very boring. But, um, if you're in somewhere where stuff's going on, I mean, in a way, I think the, you know, one careful scripting later is crucial. Um, but the more, you know, and I hate pieces to camera that are just kind of dry analysis. In a way, you know, there are still stories where that's relevant, but to me, a, a piece to camera is is only really useful when it's actually you're saying something relevant, something's happening, and you, you're placing yourself in context. Otherwise, you know, who the hell needs to see you on the screen is my view. So I don't think a lot's changed in the seven-odd years since Andrew and I recorded that. There's only a few other things I'd probably add to what Andrew says. Firstly, I think the most important things, as well as everything discussed, include passion. I think you've got to absolutely love this job, and if you don't, you probably shouldn't be doing it really because this is a job where 
If you love it, you're going to thrive and you're probably going to be very, very good at it. If for you it's just a job and you don't enjoy it, then you're probably, that's probably going to show in your work. So for me, passion and that dedication and drive to want to do good stories, to want to make excellent films, um, and within certain limits, i.e. not killing yourself, you know, wanting to make a name for yourself. I think they're all really important things. And then the other things that I wanted to just talk about quickly were the trip that Andrew and I did off the back of that interview. So it was a really interesting trip and it was, it was still probably one of the professional highlights of my career. Just after we spoke, Andrew and I had to blag our way onto a fishing boat in Benghazi that was smuggling weaponry into the Reb, uh, to the rebels in Misrata. So it was literally me, Andrew and a security advisor on this ship full of rebels being snuck into Misrata with a load of weaponry. Just the journey itself was, was quite extraordinary. I think it took us 36 hours and we spent the whole time on deck. There was no sort of, you know, nowhere to go and rest and sleep and so on. We sort of laid on deck as best we could with blankets. And at one point, I got a nudge from our security advisor, Kev Sisson, brilliant bloke, um, saying, uh, Chris, there's a boat on the horizon. Uh, we think it could be one of Gaddafi's. So I'm going to rig up the 50 cal uh, and you might have to feed me the bullets. Uh, are you ready? As you can imagine, um, I pretty much shit myself. But luckily it turned out to be uh, a NATO vessel and it just sort of buzzed us with a helicopter, checked we weren't Gaddafi's uh, Navy and sent us packing on our way. So that was good. We made it to Misrata where the siege was still going on, but it, it, w it had wound down a little bit in that the rebels had taken back the airport just recently. And although the fighting was still going on, it wasn't as intense and it wasn't as close to the city centre as it had been. But at the time, I think at least for a few days, we were the only Western TV crew there. So we had the run of the place and we did some nice features on some of the fighters and what it was like inside the city and we visited the front line a few times although like I say it was fairly quiet. I'll see if I can find any links to the pieces we did and if I can find them they'll be in the show notes below so have a look. But great memories um, and I remember we had to leave, we'd been there about a week and we left because there was a UN boat taking uh, African migrants who were stuck in Misrata taking them out and we, we managed to catch a lift on that to get out. But a great, great adventure, great story, and it saddens me when I see Libya today, to be honest, because it was an incredibly nice and welcoming place when I was there. And um, to see, you know, the fact that fighting's still going on, there's a lot of extremism in the country, they still don't really have a functioning government, as far as I'm aware, uh, is a real shame. But for me, great memories. Anyway, guys, let's leave it there. Next week, I think I'm going to post an interview I've just done with a former Royal Marine Commando who's going to tell you all about making the transition from the military to journalism and working as a cameraman. Uh, it'll be very interesting, particularly for anyone who's either in the military and wants to leave or who's just interested in what a cameraman in the military does because he used to work as a cameraman in the military um, before leaving to try his hand in the civilian world. So loads of really interesting stuff coming up next week. And I'll speak to you soon. All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye.